Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, welcome to the Heart Over Hype podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Shamar Charles. This podcast focuses on the goal of providing unique and culturally sensitive perspectives on physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health and wellness. Our goal is to provide you with the best millennial and Gen Z health news you can use. If you like this podcast, follow us on Instagram at HOHThePodcast and give us a rating of five stars on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Now, without further delay, let's get started. Today we're talking loneliness and how a lack of human connection can have life-threatening consequences. Two in five Americans report that they lack meaningful social relationships, and a recent study from BYU found that loneliness shortens a person's life by a staggering 15 years, about the same impact as being obese or smoking 15 cigarettes a day. While the issues involving loneliness aren't new, I know I'm not the only one struck by just how big a problem this really is. And I wonder if this will only get worse as we continue to physically distance during the pandemic. To help break this down, I reached out to my friend, Casley Killam, a social scientist and innovator who has spent the last 10 years studying and building initiatives related to human connection and well-being. Thanks for being here with us, Casley. Thanks, Jamar, for inviting me. <laughs> so, Casley, to start, how did you become interested in this work? Yeah, well, I started my career actually studying psychology and mental health. And one of the findings that I was really struck by is that social relationships are absolutely essential for our mental health and our well-being. Um, this just kept coming up in the research and the literature, and it really mirrored a lot of the personal experiences that I've I had had. So for example, I've moved around a lot. I think I've lived in 10 cities now in three different countries. Uh, and so I experienced firsthand that, you know, in the places where I felt like I could form strong, strong relationships, feel really connected to the community, it really impacted my own well-being and my ability to thrive. And so seeing that then in the literature and in the research was really interesting to me. And early on, I was driven to kind of take some of those research insights and put them into action. So uh, one of the first efforts I did was during my last uh, semester of undergrad, I did an act of kindness every day for four months. And this was everything from like writing a letter of gratitude to someone or helping an older adult carry groceries all the way to more kind of extreme gestures like I made a friend uh, stand with me at the entrance to the library with signs that said, if you're feeling stressed, have a free hug. And we gave hugs to hundreds of strangers. So kind of a full range of different gestures. And it had such a profound effect on me doing that every day for four months. I was happier, felt more energized, more engaged. Um, and it also translated into feeling more motivated to do other things, like to exercise more, to study harder for my exams. It just kind of trickled into every area of my life. And so I really learned that when you go through each day with the intention of connecting meaningfully with other people, it's so profound across everything that you're doing. So it's been a long journey since then of kind of studying human connection, of building programs and initiatives and campaigns around it. Um, but it all kind of stems from, from some of those early experiences. Yeah, I can totally relate to moving around a lot and having to adapt. In many ways, I think it actually made me more versatile. But I can also remember feeling pretty lonely despite being an extrovert and having lots of friends and air quotes around me. Is that something that you see a lot? 
Absolutely. No, this is very common and it's something I can relate to as well. I remember in high school, you know, being very social, having a, a large friend network and yet not feeling kind of a true sense of belonging. Um, so I, I can absolutely relate to that as well. And it's something that comes a lot, uh, comes up a lot in the literature as well as some of the some of the work that I've done. So loneliness is really a subjective experience of feeling disconnected from other people, of feeling unfulfilled in your social relationships. So this can manifest as, you know, kind of not connecting with others on a deeper, more intimate level, or having lots of acquaintances, but maybe not a best friend, or feeling like no one really understands you, like you're not being seen or heard or validated in, in ways that would be really nourishing. So what's interesting is that uh, isolation doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with loneliness, right? You can be surrounded by people and feel lonely, or you can be by yourself and feel totally fine, feel like you have, you know, one person you can reach out to for support, feel connected in other ways. And so I think it's interesting in the context of the pandemic that at first we assumed everyone would feel way lonelier because we're all isolated. Uh, and in some cases that's true, but a lot of the research um, also hasn't shown that at the population level. I wrote an article a couple months ago for Scientific American sharing some of the early data that's come out about how loneliness levels overall have stayed the same, which was really surprising to social scientists like me um, and many others. But it, it's, it's really tapping into that idea that loneliness is subjective and you can still feel connected um, even while you're by yourself. In our teaser, we detailed all the negative health outcomes that result from a lack of social connectedness. I didn't even get to explaining the monkey experiment uh, with the cloth mother versus the wire mother and how the monkey with the cloth mother fared much better. Um, I think that speaks to how important connection is to all life. At a time when social distancing has become the norm, I think we'd both agree that it's more critical than ever to find ways to maintain connections with friends and loved ones. Given how vital human connection is to our lives, should people be forcing themselves to make connections? And are there any negative consequences if they don't? Yeah, that's a great question. It's so interesting looking at all the research on this topic because psychologists and social scientists and neuroscientists have been studying this for decades now. And so there's a ton of research linking social relationships to different health outcomes. Uh, and the findings are very consistent. So if you have strong social relationships, you experience less severe cold symptoms, you're less likely to develop depression, you have lower risk of developing heart disease, you have slower cognitive decline, and at the very extreme end, it's associated with mortality risk. So in 2010, Julianne Holt Bunstead, who's one of the kind of pioneering researchers in this space, did a study where she compiled data from over 140 other studies uh, covering over 300,000 different participants. And they looked at the link between social relationships and mortality. And they found that people who have stronger social relationships have a 50% increased likelihood of survival. That was true across age, sex, initial health status, a, a wide range of different factors. And this study was really pivotal because it validated how important social connection is for our health. It's not just some touchy-feely, feel-good topic. It's actually associated with death, which is crazy. And um, in that study, she found that your risk of dying linked to social relationships is comparable to smoking, to consuming alcohol. It's actually a greater risk compared to physical inactivity and obesity. So it really is on par with 
some of those other factors that we know and are well established as, as impacting our health. So uh, absolutely, it's, it's, it's vital to our sense of well-being. We can't talk about loneliness without talking about grandma and grandpa and our elderly population. Because they're often immunocompromised or suffer from a health condition, I think we have to do a better job of shielding them from the effects of loneliness. At least that's my, uh, at least that's my opinion. Do you think that the current system in place is adequately suited to care for the needs of our elderly population? <laughs> That's a loaded question. Uh, I guess the short answer is no. Uh, I've been working a lot with older adults on isolation and loneliness. I'm on the board of this nonprofit in San Francisco called the Community Living Campaign that creates programs to uh, build community for older adults. And I've also been working with the AARP in Massachusetts on developing a campaign and other initiatives related to helping older adults feel more connected. And what we hear a lot is that many older adults feel like they've been put out to pasture, right? They're no longer taken seriously. They are no longer seen as kind of valuable contributors to society. And this is a this is really a shame. Um, and when when older adults retire, you know, they lose that sense of meaning and purpose and connection that they got from their jobs. And so suddenly they're thrown into the situation where, you know, their their friends and their partners start to pass away or have health issues, their kids maybe live in different cities, their own health is fragile. And meanwhile, they're trying to stay engaged and, and feel that sense of purpose that they had before. It's really challenging. And so I think that we need to move away from kind of seeing the growing senior population as a problem towards seeing them as an incredible resource of people who have rich life experience, many skills that they can contribute. And a lot of people uh, at that age don't want to just kind of sip margaritas by the pool every day, all day. <laughs> they want to give back and they want to contribute their full life of wisdom and skills through volunteering, through staying engaged in local community things and in connecting with younger generations, even sometimes in working part time. So I think, you know, as a culture and a society, we need to really reframe aging and think of it as as an asset and reshape our culture so that people of all ages feel like they can stay engaged uh, and, and feel relevant. So my mom is recently retired and I used to wonder if she gets bored, but she actually quickly uh, fell into a really meaningful routine for herself, and she seems to be doing just fine. I, I still find that her joy mostly comes from, or her greatest amount of joy, rather, mostly comes from when my brother and my sister and I are all at the house at the same time. And honestly, the same goes for me. That wasn't always the case when I was younger. Do you find that connecting with loved ones becomes more important as you get older? That's a really interesting question. So... I can speak to what the data says, which is that it's important across the lifespan. So for example, in some of the literature on early childhood development, having one person who's kind of there to support you and be your rock can be the difference between, uh, you know, mental health outcomes later on, your ability to maintain a job, things like that. It's really, really crucial. Feeling loved from a young age is absolutely pivotal to our long-term development. So it is important across the age span. I think the form that it takes does evolve, and that's what you're getting at in this question, right? When we're teenagers, we want nothing to do with our family, and we just want to hang out with friends. When you're an older adult, perhaps you want everything to do with family, and, and friends actually matter less. You know, it, it varies per person, per age. 
there are a lot of different factors there, but I think it's essential across the lifespan and the ways that we nurture that uh, just vary. We're eight months into the pandemic, and as uncertainty surrounding COVID-19 wears on, it seems as if there is only one constant, and that's our reliance on the internet and social media and streaming devices for work, school, entertainment, and keeping in touch with uh, friends and family. Not surprisingly, we're on Zoom right now, right? Like, we just can't get away from the tech. But I wonder, uh, how is all of this tech stimulation negatively impacting our health. Like I totally understand the tech as a tool to increase social connectedness, but man, uh, maybe I'm watching too much of the social dilemma on Netflix, but I do wonder about the toll of increased screen time and having less barriers between work and home. Yeah. I mean, some of the studies that have come out recently showing a rise in anxiety, a rise in depression, a rise in stress certainly suggests that the answer is yes. More broadly, the research that looks at how social media and technology and internet use affect our, our mental health is still pretty nascent. There's kind of a lot of complexity that researchers are working through. But there was a study done earlier this year, actually by our former colleagues at the Harvard School of Public Health, that essentially found that it's more about how you use it than how much. So we can all relate to this, right? If we're doom scrolling, social, you know, looking through social media at celebrities and all the media headlines about the election, we're not gonna feel good. But if we're using it in ways that actually connect us with other people, setting up appointments, you know, sending a, a friendly text to someone, things like that, then it is actually associated with social well-being. Um, so it really depends kind of what is our relationship to it and how are we using it. And um, um, yeah, I think it really just comes down to kind of limiting our use and using it in ways that actually enhance our relationships as best we can, and then putting it away and <laughs> leaving the rest of the side. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I'm actually in total agreement with people who come to me and tell me that they don't necessarily feel as if they're getting the most bang for their buck on these virtual social platforms. But to be quite frank, I also don't necessarily have a really good answer for them. What advice do you have for people who are reluctant to get on these apps because it's just not the same as meeting uh, someone in person? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I think we all feel that way, right? It's just not the same. Um, so a few things I would say. The first is that there is a lot of innovation going on in this space with different startups and companies who are creating platforms that actually prioritize more meaningful connection and structure it in different ways. Um, so I actually curated a list of over 120 different companies that are aiming to do this and actually kind of fight off loneliness and facilitate greater connection. Icebreaker is a great example. It's an alternative to Zoom that uses different prompts and, and things like that to kind of structure connection in an easier, more meaningful way. Um, the second thing I would say is that uh, it's really important to start thinking of connection as part of our daily routine, part of our health habits, just like brushing our teeth. And there are ways to do that that don't involve technology, right? So one great example I love is my fiance's grandma has a prayer bowl. So she has this bowl next to her armchair with names of different people in her life who are important to her friends, family. And every day she takes a name out of the bowl and that is her person for the day who she sends a prayer to, she thinks about them, she holds them in their thoughts. Maybe she texts them or gives them a call, something like that. Um, and I love that example because even if you're 
not religious, it's the idea of kind of being intentional about connection and uh, being grateful for the relationships that are in your life and kind of habitualizing it into your days. Another example is to kind of use technology in healthier ways. So when you do find yourself doom scrolling, to pause, take a breath, and then choose someone in your feed and send them a compliment, right? Like that one minute kindness um, so that you're using technology and retraining yourself to take those small actions, but still meaningful uh, that kind of transform that experience. So there are a lot of different ways to do this, but ultimately I would say, um, yeah, just, just um, there's, there, well, another thing I'll add is that um, I strongly recommend quarantine pods. And so if people are not already in a group of people who they have shared expectations about, um, you know, how they're taking precautions and they feel that mutual trust, I strongly recommend doing that because there's something about physical touch that changes our biology, changes our psychology. It's so powerful. And so making sure that you're getting a hug now and then is really important. <laughs> Who would have ever thought that we would have to be intentional about giving something as simple as a hug? I still can't get over that. But I, I got to admit, I love this idea of the prayer bowls that you're talking about or even engaging in small acts of kindness. Um, they're small and they're doable and they're hard to measure. And I think that's a good thing because we don't really want to overdo it. Right. And during COVID, I think it's really important to be intentional about engaging activities. Uh, that support our social health. But another thing that um, just popped into my mind is volunteering, uh, specifically um, in any community that involves seniors, right? Uh, we can volunteer to grocery shop for a senior or play a socially distant game, which I think is really nice because it's good to interact with strangers. I hear often that people miss being at the bar. I don't necessarily think that they miss uh, drinking out with friends. I, I think what they miss is they just miss the camaraderie of uh, being around people that they don't know. Um, it feels as if we've created our own bubbles. Uh, but, you know, volunteering is a way for us to see and connect with people outside of that bubble. And to your point, there are uh, many innovative ways to break out of our uh, daily um, routine. So uh, we just have to be a little bit more intentional uh, about how we socially connect with people. But uh, intentionality certainly should not stop us uh, from taking those first steps. The other element of that that I really find powerful is that volunteering is an amazing source of purpose and meaning, but it's also a great way to stay socially engaged, to meet new people, make new friends, to ward off any feelings of isolation or loneliness that you may be having. I actually wrote an article specifically on volunteering as kind of a solution or barrier for loneliness a couple of years ago because it is such a powerful way to do that. So I love that that incorporates, you know, connecting with strangers, um, but also that that aspect of contribution, of volunteering and kind of giving back to your community. In my everyday job as a professor and public health advocate, I oftentimes find that I'm talking uh, out of both sides of my mouth. On the one hand, I'm telling people to physically distance as much as possible. On the other hand, I'm telling them to remain socially engaged. It's confusing. I'm confused. Um, we even admitted earlier that connecting virtually just isn't the same as catching up with friends in person. How do you convey a proper balance of the two in your messaging? Yeah, I definitely agree that it's about balance. And I think it comes down to when you are plugged in 
ensuring that you're being deliberate about how you're using your laptop or your phone. So is it to do work and be productive? Is it to have dinner with family and friends over Zoom? Or is it that you're doom scrolling and, and reading headlines that make you feel stressed and anxious? And to really start developing habits around this. Um, so replacing, um, replacing those kind of less those actions that make us feel really bad with with more positive ones. And I think that now is actually the perfect time for us to be finding that balance and working on it and developing those habits and especially kind of reinforcing the the connection skills that we want to maintain even long after the pandemic is over. And I think, um, you know, there are, there are other ways to connect as well. So right now, you know, it used to be that I would commute one or two hours a day to go to work. And now I can replace that time with sitting outside with my coffee in the morning or going for a bike ride at night or calling a friend. So learning just to, you know, unplug in the right ways and then when you are plugged in, make sure that you're optimizing that time. The pandemic has allowed me to unplug and appreciate things that I once took for granted. My social circles are smaller than they've ever been. They're also more meaningful than they've ever been. My home is less cluttered. And I'm just truly living by the motto, less is more. And honestly, I'm not sure that I want to go back to all of the distractions that I had going on pre-pandemic. Is that a sentiment that you're hearing from people as well? Absolutely. I'm seeing that people are oftentimes realizing for the first time just how important their relationships are and prioritizing those in ways that we didn't before, right? It was so easy in the pre-pandemic world to be so caught up with technology and working and just the grind that we we let those fall to the wayside. It was so easy to just, you know, be too busy to hang out with your friends on a Tuesday night. And now we can't sacrifice that anymore. And we're kind of functioning at a slower pace where we have the mind space to really recognize how important those are. So I'm absolutely seeing that people are realizing that the importance more, they're prioritizing it more. And my hope is that that value and appreciation will carry on long after the pandemic, that the habits we're developing now are going to be maintained long after because People want the good parts of this. You know, we want to slow down a bit. We want to uh, value our relationships more and invest in those more. And I think that we will moving forward. When you talk about value and appreciation, I can't help but think about all those people who had to go through a pregnancy alone or couldn't attend a loved one's funeral due to COVID. If there was one small word of advice that you could give to someone who wants to be more social but is too scared or hesitant to do so based on the health risk, what would you tell them? Well... I would say two things, that there are ways to increase your social network that uh, don't put you at a risk. You know, that there are ways to socially distance with people, to meet people online. Um, and it's not ideal, but there it, it is an option. But the other thing that I would emphasize is that increasing social network size shouldn't always be the goal. It's also about deepening the existing relationships that you already have. And I think now is the time to deepen your friendships, get to know your family members more, really learn more about your neighbors, you know, understand your neighborhood and the city that you live in at a deeper level. Now uh, we have this chance to prioritize that. And I think, um, you know, 
with social well-being, it's really about quality over quantity. You know, you can be, you can feel fulfilled and not lonely with just one or a few close people who you feel a deep kinship with. So it, it's actually less important to increase your network size than it is to make sure that the relationships and interactions you do have are really powerful. I end every show with a myth-busting question. And so I have one uh, myth-busting question for you. Uh, All right. I know, right? I know. Gear up, gear up for it. So uh, one of the questions that I get asked uh, the most frequently is about quality versus quantity. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I just want uh, for you to tell our viewers, uh, if you had to pick one, Right. So the size of your social network versus the quality of your social networks. In other words, uh, more shallow relationships, Mm -hmm. uh, but more in quantity or uh, few but deeper Mm -hmm. uh, relationships. (laughs) If you had to pick one versus the other and try not to push, (laughs) (laughs) which one which one uh, would you suggest? Um, allows people, or which one would you suggest gives people the greater, uh, more positive health impact? Quality, hands down, no question. The one reflection I would add to that is that extroverts might also feel nourished by having a a large multitude of, of more superficial interactions. And so there is personal variation in our preferences around social connection, but far and beyond quality matters more than quantity. And it's why a lot of people feel lonely, even though they're surrounded by people and, and know a lot of acquaintances. Thank you so much, Cassie. I feel like I've learned <laughs> so much about the world of uh, social connectedness. Where can people find your work? Yeah, so they can connect with me at my website, casleykillam.com. On there, you can find links to my social media. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I also have a newsletter. I'll actually be dropping a new one soon, so you might want to check that out. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. You're certainly welcome uh, to come back on our show anytime you'd like, uh, and we can't wait to speak with you again. Thank you so much. This was great. Final thought, how connected we are socially has a direct impact on our physical health because being alone is stressful. We all want that feeling of being loved. It's as natural as breathing. The feeling of loneliness, scientists say, is an evolutionary phenomenon. Just as hunger encourages animals to find food, loneliness forces humans to seek out the protection of the group, increasing their chances of survival. Chronic loneliness increases cortisol, which makes solitary humans more alert to danger at small doses but damages our health at larger doses leading to high blood pressure, increased inflammation, and a weakened immune system. Whether you're an introvert or extrovert, my advice is the same. Connect with, uh, connect with others whenever you can. The number of people doesn't matter. Our emotional support networks helps us to avoid slipping into unhealthy habits such as substance abuse, overeating, and not exercising. For seniors, this is especially important as isolation can be deadly in the event of an emergency, like a bad fall or a heart attack. If you're feeling alone or just need someone to talk to, please reach out to friends and family. You might be surprised by their reaction. A phone call or text message goes a long way for you and the other person on the line. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Heart Over Hype. I can't wait for our next conversation. Stay safe. 
wear a mask, and give us a rating of five stars so we can keep this train going. See you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.